0: Thank you, Brother Terry. Well, maybe that won't be long. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Maybe it won't be long. It's going to happen. Amen. If you brought your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We want to look at verse 17 through 21. While you're turning, let me just refresh your memory. Maybe, perhaps, some haven't been here, but we started a series of sermons a few weeks back. Philippians is about a book that focuses on two major words. Some of you remember those, joy and mind. The book instructs us on how to have a peaceful, joyful, Christian mind. Uh, Now... With that in mind, there are certain things the devil uses to rob us of our joy. Chapter 1 speaks of circumstances. There are some circumstances that come to us in life that are unpleasant, and the devil uses those circumstances to rob us of our joy. However, we can have victory over those circumstances by continuing to focus on Jesus and by exalting Him and seeking to extend the gospel. So when those bad circumstances come, Paul tells us in chapter 1, we need to continue to focus on Jesus and to do all we can to extend the gospel. Chapter 2, he says that people can rob us of our joy. But we can have victory over people who try to rob us of our joy by having a submissive mind. Submissive mind like Jesus, like Paul, like Timothy. So a submissive mind. Chapter 3, we began uh, kind of a mini-series on uh, chapter 3. Material things can rob us of our joy, but we can have victory if we let our mind, first of all, focus on sin, salvation things, salvation things. And Paul uses those picture words to describe some uh, things that we need to be. First of all he says we need to be a bookkeeper. We need to figure out some things in regards to salvation. We need to focus on salvation things. And Paul figured out that all of his uh, credits in his credit column was nothing but garbage or dung he called it. When it came to uh, uh, having eternal life, none of that mattered. It was simply Jesus Christ and Him alone. And then Paul painted a word picture in chapter 3 about being a runner. Last week we talked about running after sanctification things. We talked about Salvation things, been a bookkeeper. Last week we talked about sanctification things. We need to commit ourselves to sanctification. Sanctification is progressive growth in righteousness. Everything we do, we need to be growing in righteousness. And now today, Paul in verses 17 through 21 paints a picture of a traveler. And we'll see that. And Paul has said, as we walk through this life, we need to focus on glorification things. And so, we discussed in chapter 3 that salvation, if you remember, is in three tenses. We have salvation, I have been saved, that's my justification. I have been saved. I'm being saved. That's the process of sanctification. And then one day when the Lord comes back, Terry sang about it a few minutes ago, uh, is I'm going to be saved, and that is glorification. So I'm saved. When I was 11 years old, I was saved. I was saved from the penalty of sin. I experienced justification in my life. And after I was saved then I'm being saved. That's the process of sanctification. So I was saved from the penalty of sin, and now I'm being saved from the power of sin in my life. Sin has no power over me in my life. I can have victory over sin through Jesus Christ. And then one day I will be saved. That's glorification. I'll be saved from the presence of sin. So salvation, I am saved. From the penalty of sin, I am being saved from the power of sin. And one day, praise the Lord, I'll be saved from the presence of sin. Amen. And that's glorification. Now, Philippians three seventeen through 21, we're able to, to be like travelers. And we need to focus on glorification things. So let's look at verse 17 with that in mind. Verse 17, Brethren... Be followers. Here's your traveler. Be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. Now, parentheses. Notice what he says. For many walk, whom I have told you often, and I now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end and destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. What you got your mind on today? Heavenly things? Earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body That it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Paul begins right up front talking about two lifestyles. There are two ways to look at life. He talks about he talks about lifestyles. He goes back, he talks about things. Look at verse 19 whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. We're talking about things. Things can rob you of your joy and of your peace. So he speaks of those who mind earthly things. Now there are two ways to look at things. The first way is through an earthly perspective. We just view it the way the secular world views it. as an earthly perspective. And then secondly, we can view from a heavenly perspective. And notice he talks about those who look at life from an earthly perspective. And he, after he discusses those that look at life through, through uh, earthly lens, he just breaks down and starts weeping. Look at verse 18. He says... In verse 18, whose end is... uh, Verse 18, "...for many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ." So he talks about those who look at life from an earthly perspective. He breaks down, starts crying, and he calls them enemies of the cross. Those that just focus primarily on the things of this earth, he says, are enemies of the cross. Now, no doubt, they were professing Christians. All the study that I've, I've done preparing this sermon, all commentaries, theologians believe these were professing Christians. But they minded earthly things. And their end, he says, is destruction. In other words, they were lost. If you're just focusing on earthly things... More than likely, you've never trusted Jesus Christ. Notice, whose God is their belly. In other words, all they were interested in were material things. They had a materialistic appetite. That's all they were concerned about. Now, remember, I said two or three weeks ago, there's nothing wrong with material things. God created material things. Genesis chapter 3 said it was good. And then he goes on to tell us that those things were created for our good and for us to use, for our good. There's nothing wrong with material things. God created them, they were good, he created them for our good. But if all you're living for is material things, when you get them, what do you have? You have junk. You have junk. Let me give you a personal illustration. Our closets are full. Judy's got plastic bags. She puts vacuum cleaner nozzle on and sucks it down real small where she can stack two or three more on top of those. (laughs) I cannot put my bedroom slippers under my bed because it's full under there. Go out to my (laughs) utility... It's not (laughs) her... We'll settle this when we get home. She said it's not her junk. Go out to my utility room, my utility building. Open the door very carefully. It's full. Go out to my lean-to where I keep my lawnmower... Well, let me rephrase this. Go out to my lawnmower shed... My lawnmower's on the carport because I can't get my lawnmower in the lawnmower shed. I can't get my car in the carport. I have Tupperware boxes left over from the tornado that I can't get in the shed, in the lean-to, in the closet, in the house, anywhere, so they're on my carport. What do I have? Junk. Just junk. What do you have when you have all of these things. You have junk. Paul says their God is their belly. Their, their main appetite. It's not earthly thing. I mean, it's not heavenly things, but it's earthly things. They're focused on earthly things. All they live for is a material appetite. Notice what he said. Whose glory is their shame. Now, there's a phrase in Revelation that speaks to that material appetite. Revelation chapter 3, it says, "...them that dwell on the earth." Revelation 6. Revelation 11.10 says, "...they that dwell on the earth." Revelation 13 says, "...all that dwell on the earth." And so the phrase, "...them that dwell on the earth," "...they that dwell on the earth," can be simply... It's one Greek word... Which simply means earth dwellers. To dwell below. Never looking up, focusing on below. All their thoughts, all their mind, all their thinking is below. The word literally means to live down. Translated earth dwellers. Those who just live down. Those who have fixed their attention on the earth. The earth. the earth is all they see. The earth is all they think about. The earth is all they live for. They get up. They go to work. They come home. They go to bed. They get up. They go to work. They come home. They go to bed. They get up. They go to work. They come home. And they go to bed. And Colossians 3 reminds us, the Bible says, set your affection on things above and not on things below. Yet there are some people today who see nothing but what's below. They never look up. Earth dwellers. Now friend... To have victory over material things that can rob you of your joy and your peaceful mind. God wants us to have a spiritual mind. You say, Well, Brother Samuel, what's a spiritual mind? Well, a spiritual mind, that simply means that we look at earthly things in a heavenly perspective. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, "...for our conversation is in heaven." Now, we're on the earth, but we're looking. God wants us to see the earth in a heavenly perspective. He says, "...for our conversation..." Some translation... Well, the word translated literally means citizenship. "...for our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ." Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. Paul was proud of his Roman citizenship. Very few people in Philippi had Roman citizenship. Paul was proud of his Roman citizenship. Most people were either slaves or freedmen. But Paul had Roman citizenship. But he was more proud of his citizenship in heaven than he was Roman citizenship with all of its benefits. You see Paul said our citizenship is in heaven. Now, we live in a great country with all of its with all of what's going on even now. It's still a great country. There are people today flooding our borders. They're doing this every day to live in the United States of America. And some are are seeking Citizenship in this country. But friend, listen, the citizenship in heaven is open to all. It's available to every person. Amen. And so today you may not have citizenship in heaven. You may not be a citizen of heaven. But the Bible teaches us that if you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as sovereign Lord over your life then you have citizenship in heaven. That Christ will forgive you, save you, write your name down in the Lamb's book of life. And with all that America has to offer, this country, as good as it is, cannot compare to what heaven has to offer. Can you imagine heaven just for a moment? Can you imagine street of gold or streets of gold? It's debated. Can you imagine the walls built of jasper and gates of pearl? Can you imagine what it would be uh, be like to see a a rainbow throne or crystal clear streams? Or many mansions? Or the tree of life. And there's no sickness there, and there's no death there. There's no pain. There's no hospitals. There's no nursing homes, retirement centers. There's no crime. There's no darkness. There's nothing but praise. There's nothing but doxologies. There's nothing but songs of joy. The Bible says unspeakable and full of glory. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. But right now, the Bible says that we're strangers and pilgrims in a foreign land. We're just passing through. This is not our home. This world's not my home. I am an ambassador of heaven. If you're a Christian, you're an ambassador of heaven. You see, Paul is riding to this church at Philippi. And Philippi was a colony, a Roman colony, a little small city. And they were a Roman colony. They were were nothing more than just a little Rome. They were a miniature Rome. In other words, they used the Roman language. They dressed in Roman dress. They followed the Roman customs. They were citizens of Rome, but they were living in Philippi. But they were to emulate Rome. Are you listening? While they were in Philippi. They weren't citizens of Philippi. They were citizens of Rome. They were living in Philippi trying to emulate Rome. They were to be Roman citizens while they were in Philippi. They were citizens of Rome living in Philippi, but they were to emulate Rome in Philippi. You say, Brother Samuel, what's the point? You and I are living in Phil Philcamel, Alabama, but my home and my citizenship is in heaven. And we're to keep our eyes, listen... We're to keep our eyes focused on heaven. We are in essence today to act like they are acting in heaven. (laughs) That's what we're to be doing. We're to act like they're they're acting in heaven. We're to speak heavenly language. And, and, And I really don't mean tongues. But I forgive you, and I love you, and God bless you. We're to act like they're acting in heaven. We're to speak like they're speaking in heaven because we're citizens of heaven here waiting to go back to heaven. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, For our conversation is in heaven. Citizenship, From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We look for the coming of the Savior. The word look there literally means to eagerly wait for. To earnest, it means earnest expectation. I can remember growing up, Mother telling me my cousin was coming. She'd say Uncle Earl was coming. That meant Charles was coming. Uncle Willard and Gladys coming, and are coming, and that meant Lester's coming. And I just couldn't wait to see my cousins. And I'd think I'd hear a car pull up, and I'd run to the door. Mother would say, don't, don't look out the door. <laughs> Y'all have had that said to you, too. I'd go to the window. Don't look out the window. Earnest expectation. tiptoe to see if you could see them coming. Eagerly waiting for. The Christians there at Philippi were earnestly looking for Jesus to come any moment. Because Jesus had said in, in John 14 two, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And they were waiting expectantly. They were waiting earnestly. And we should be living in earnest expectation, looking for the Lord Jesus Christ to come any, any moment today. Amen. You say, well, Brother Sammy, why do you say that? Well, let me say, listen, never before in the history of our world has so many signs encouraged us to look earnestly for His coming. Amen. Amen. I mean the birth of the state of Israel, the coming together of the European states, European Union, the discovery of nuclear power, the spread of atheism, humanism. This past week, I heard of a senator that was warning the military to appoint chaplains for atheists. Think how permissive our society has become. Illegal drugs, toleration of pornography, toleration of perversion. Think how perverted our society has become. The increase of the occult, false religions, the apostasy in the church, the increase in earthquakes, terrorism, persecutions, famine, New disease, not subject to any antibiotics that we have today. Friend, with all of that, we should be living in earnest expectation. We need to be tiptoe ready for the Lord to come. Look at verse 21. Verse twenty-one says, "Who shall change?" Now, now he says in verse twenty, "From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to take us through a tribulation." Now, he don't say that, does he? He says to change our vile body. Who shall change our vile body? Who shall change our vile body? Our our corrupt body. We're looking, expecting the Lord to come, and when He comes, He's going to change our vile body. Notice what He says. That it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body. Here's your glorification. According to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. Now, in verse 21, now remember, salvation's in three tenses. I have been justified. I've been, I've been forgiven of my sins. My name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. I have been saved. I've been saved from the penalty of sin. Then I'm being saved. That's sanctification. The process of becoming more and more like Jesus. I'm saved from the power of sin over my life. And then glorification, I, I will be saved in that I will be like him. I'll be saved from the presence of sin. Now, he says in verse 21 Who shall change our vile body? Our body's going to be changed. You see, from the time that Jesus emerged from the womb, he had a perfect body, he was without sin. He was without disease. He was without deformity. He had a perfect body. From the time he emerged from the womb, he had a perfect body. From the time he emerged from the tomb, he had a glorified body. Amen. I mean, He could appear. He could disappear. He could walk through a, a wall and sit down and eat with his disciples. He could, he could come and go through space. <coughs> You see, he, he didn't have a different body. He had the same body. Not getting a new body. Jesus goes to Thomas. And Thomas says, I just don't believe it's you. And he says, Well, reach out and touch me. And Thomas felt nail prints in his hand and where the spear pitched your side. the same body. You see, if we didn't have the same body, there wouldn't be a need of a resurrection. We're not talking about getting a new body as such. We're talking about a glorified body. We're talking about a body like Jesus. So Paul says when Jesus comes, he'll change our vile body. Our body. The word vile there means humiliation. So Jesus is going to change our body of humiliation. Our body with all of its indignity. That's what sin does to your body with all of its indignity, its sin, its lust, with all of its hurts and pains and limitations, all of that's going to be changed. He doesn't throw our body away and give us a new body, but he just glorifies our body. That's why he brings everything together. If you're cremated, he brings it all together. That's why we're going to know each other in heaven. (laughs) We're going to have the same appearance, the body. That's why resurrection's so important. It'll be the same body, the one we had to begin with, but it's going to be changed, not thrown away, but transfigured. Jesus didn't throw his body away, leave it in the tomb, give a new body. but he was resurrected. His body was changed, transfigured, and he was reunited with His spirit. And the Bible says that our bodies will be fashioned like his and we will have a glorified body. That's glorification. So to have a spiritual mind, this is what we need to do. And I'm closing with this. To have a a spiritual mind, to have victory over material things, every decision we make toward material things we should ask, how does it look from a heavenly point of view? What does that mean, Brother Sammy? Well, how does it look in regards to your dress from a heavenly point of view? What's the style? Well, how does it look from a heavenly point of view? What about our habits? How do they look from a heavenly point of view? What about our recreation? What about the places of amusement? How does that look from a heavenly point of view? How about going down to Tunica? Well, I don't gamble, but I just like the free food and the cheap hotel room. Well, how does that look from a heavenly point of view? What about our reading, what we read or what we see on TV? How does that look? What about our dating conduct? How does that look from a heavenly point of view? Our office conduct or working at our regular job? How does that look from a heavenly point of view? So the first question in order to have a spiritual mind you need to have toward material things is every decision we make toward things we should ask, how does it look from a heavenly point of view? Secondly, a hundred years from now, how important is this going to be to you? Whatever you're doing. A hundred years from now. How important would this be Paul says to begin with we're a bookkeeper figuring out salvation things we're runners following after sanctification things and then he says in the close of chapter 3 we're travelers we're focusing on glorification things our citizenship's not here there are two ways to look at things. There's the earthly perspective and there's the heavenly perspective. And Paul said, too many in Philippi, it was all about material things. The God was, their God was their belly. They were earth dwellers. Never looking up. The earth was all that they thought about. And so the question we leave ourselves with today is this. Where's your citizenship? Is it in heaven? Are you just an earth dweller? Are you here on earth? Are you looking for the Lord to come back any moment? Are you ready for that? Are you ready? You looking? Is your citizenship in heaven? focused your affection on things above? Are you just filling closets and storage buildings down here? In order to have victory over material things, we have to think about salvation things, sanctification things, and we sure have to think about glorification things. Let's bow our heads for a prayer.